Yo, what is up? You have found I Like the Blazers. I am your host, Brandon Goldner, and here I am very honored to be joined by the one, the only, Ryan Whitledge of the Blazer Tag Podcast. Ryan, how's it going in your COVID quarantine room, my friend? Uh, I feel as though I'm an expert on this. I, I got a little bit of a head start on everybody. Uh, broke my ankle back in early January, so I had pretty much been on lockdown since then. So by the time everybody else joined the lockdown, I was like, oh no, you, I was born in the darkness. You guys were only, you guys have only just now adopted it. Wait, you broke your, did someone cross you up? What happened? <laughs> I really wish that I had a, a cool or decent story, but no, I was outsmarted by a raised portion of a sidewalk. And uh, I am apparently at the age where I'm no longer bendy and flexible, and those kind of things can do me in. That sucks. Uh, that I didn't break my ankle, but a little while ago, we have a driveway that slopes down, and I was just like being an idiot and like twirling around and I just went ass over tea kettle and kind of tumbled down the driveway and as I'm tumbling like mid tumble I'm like yeah I'm not 17 anymore uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the beauty of that when I actually tripped on that section of sidewalk and, and broke my ankle I fell down and cried like a little girl uh, there may or may not have been some alcoholic beverages involved in that and uh, I remember my wife looking at me and was just like you pussy just get up you, you didn't break your ankle <laughs> But you did. <laughs> three, three days later, I come back with X-ray proof. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I think. I mean, I, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of crying in general. But definitely, when you break your ankle, it's completely fine. Um, and speaking of crying, I did want to start out. Like people say, stick to sports. Don't talk about politics and politics and sports. Uh, fuck that. We don't have sports, so we're gonna start by just talking at least a little bit about the presidential election. And I'll just preface this by saying I haven't done that many podcasts lately, and it was even before COVID hit, and it was because I was getting more invested in the presidential election and specifically the Democratic nomination. You all probably know if you follow me on Twitter at GoldnerPDX, I am a supporter of Senator Bernard Sanders from Vermont. And so as time went on in January, I was like, I don't have enough time to do the Blazers and I want to start volunteering and trying to help. Um, and so got really into that. And, and basically the short story, Ryan, is that Bernie Sanders has suspended his campaign for president. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion both on that and sort of I'm not trying to go into a 30 minute diatribe about the political landscape of America, but like. Does his... 30 minutes? Really? We could sit here for the next four hours, I'm guessing. Well, right. And like, that's, I mean, I don't think anyone wants to hear from me for that long. Uh, maybe from you. But like, I just, I just want to, A, you know, he dropped out of the election. But B, like, do you think that his presence, do you think that there was something special or different about that compared to most politicians and be as honest as you want. I just wanted to get your sense of kind of how how you thought of his presence in this race and him not being there anymore. Um, I think probably the the biggest damning thing for him this year was that he ran before. And I know that sounds so asinine because, you know, yeah, you got to build up your base and everything. But at the time, when he previously ran and he was trying to get the nomination over Hillary Clinton, um, his ideas and the things he were promoting were, were so new or so fresh or so out there. And um, it, they kind of got drugged through the mud a little bit. Uh, but then now flash forward or flash forward. And we're now in a time where, especially now with people being on quarantine, people losing jobs, like the things that, that he had been preaching and talking about are not so new or, or not so, so completely out of left field. And so I think if he had, if he hadn't ran before his, the things that he was looking for to secure for people um, wouldn't have been drugged through the mud as much and his name wouldn't have been necessarily as sullied as as it has been previously i, th I think it would have played more if he would have been a fresh face coming in and i know 70 year old fresh face but you know you know what i mean there. <laughs> yeah i mean and frankly i mean if you think about what you just said like the ideas that had come up before some of the stuff that he was talking about four years ago not only because of him, but in large part because of him, became part of the mainstream, right? You think about people deserving $15 an hour minimum wage. That mm -hmm. seemed a little wacky in 2014, 2015. But by 2016, what is it? It's part of the Democratic Party platform. You talk about Medicare for all, that everyone deserves health care. 
Look at polling from every single state in the primary so far, even in the deep south, Democratic voters want Medicare for all in every last state. And we're not talking about Democrats and Republicans, just Democrats. So, I mean, there is something to if you've been there before, people have time to generate negative narratives about you. Um, So I think that that's fair. I also think it's fair that some of the stuff he talked about. It gave people a, t- a chance to digest it and to think about it and consider it. Um, let me ask you this, though, specifically to 2016. There are a lot of people who think that he played a spoiler, that he didn't get out of the race soon enough, that he didn't support Hillary Clinton strongly enough, and that that contributed to Donald Trump winning in 2016. Uh, do you blame Bernie Sanders for Donald Trump? Ooh, uh, in... If I'm going to take that question uh, as as a verbatim word for word, I, I don't blame Bernie for Trump. But I do think there is something to lacking unity in a party. And if at any point in time, whether it had been Hillary or Bernie or whoever – uh, kind of like being able to read the room, bow out a little sooner, and just kind of have that united front. There was a lot of division amongst the Democratic Party, even much as there is now. And I think that does a disservice to it because, I mean, now, especially now, now that it's official that Bernie's out, you, you see people that are like, yeah, I'll, I'll never vote for Biden. And it's like, well, great. So are you are you not going to vote? Are you not going to participate? What what are you What are you doing? Well, I have a question about that, though, Um, because we did hear that in 2016. We're hearing it again, like you just said. Do you think that those people who are saying, well, I'm not going to vote for Biden, the people who in 2016 said, well, I'm not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Do you think that those people would have otherwise voted for those folks if not for Bernie Sanders? I guess what I'm asking is, do you think those people were going to vote for that nominee? But because Bernie Sanders was there, they decided, well, no, I'm not going to vote for them. Like, is that is that what you think is happening? A little bit uh, uh, to really? some degree. And, and and I'll I'll even admit right now, I mean, like I, I lean more liberal in my views. Me and me and my wife have have debates because she leans a little more conservative in hers and and whatnot. And I was a big Bernie supporter. And I'm not going to lie. I absolutely hate Joe Biden. I, I, I disdain the man. And I am having a little bit of crisis of conscience of like, where do I want to place my vote and and where can my vote actually matter? I mean, I, I don't necessarily buy that, you know, <laughs> that, there's the wife. Why are you talking about politics on a sportscast? <laughs> I'm sorry if I but, get you in trouble. Oh, that's that's fine. I knew she'd chime in eventually. But but no, I mean, I, I don't necessarily buy that. You should just blindly vote Democratic if if you because that's the candidate that's put put in front of you. I mean, I don't agree with some of Joe Biden's uh, principles and platforms and whatnot. And I thought Bernie would have been better off. So I, I'll admit I'm, I'm currently conflicted on where I'm going to set my vote. I think that that's perfectly fair. But I do want to I'm going to I'm going to ask you this again, sir. Is is your hesitance to vote for Joe Biden only because Bernie Sanders was there? If Bernie Sanders had not run, would you be very comfortable voting for Joe Biden? But for the fact that Bernie Sanders ran, that's what's getting you to rethink that. And, and no, under no, okay, under no circumstance. And, he, and here's okay, and that made that, see. I'm glad that you said that. Here's why. And like, I'm going to get out my soapbox really quick. A lot of people say, well, Bernie Sanders, if not for him, Hillary Clinton would have won. Well, Bernie Sanders, if not for him, more people would vote for Joe Biden. That never made any sense to me because to me, if you don't want to vote for Clinton, if you don't want to vote for Biden, that is because there's something about your political persuasion or the things you care about or the policies that you want to support that Mm -hmm. lend you to not support those kinds of candidates. It's not because (laughs) Bernie Sanders popped up and, oh, now I have been poisoned against the establishment. If not for Bernie Sanders, I would have otherwise voted for those people. That never made sense to me. What did make sense to me is that Bernie Sanders does seem to activate people who may not be involved in the political process, people who may be disenfranchised, people who don't vote usually, maybe even disaffected Republicans who are a little Mm -hmm. bit more anti-establishment who look at Bernie Sanders and say, wow, he's talking shit about the Democrats. Look at that. He's talking shit about Republicans and Democrats. That's something I can get behind. So for me, it's never that he has turned the worm on people who would otherwise vote for people like Clinton and Biden. It's that he's activating people who wouldn't have otherwise voted and i think that really does get lost in this conversation sometimes 
Do you think he actually did that though this term? I mean, if you if you're in in this race, because if you go back and look at at polling numbers and turnouts and like the age group and, and demographics breakdown, I don't think Bernie did as well with the demographic he was necessarily trying to target. There wasn't a high a high percentage of voter turnout in, in that age group. Actually, the real let me tell you something that. <laughs> He didn't do as well, I think, as anyone would have hoped. But you do look at voter turnout for younger folks. It did tick up. The thing was that voter turnout among older votes ticked up even more. So Mm -hmm. I think that to me, it's not that the voters that he was depending on, younger voters in particular, didn't turn up. It's that they didn't turn up as much as these older voters who, by the way, turn up more for elections anyway. That's part of it. Another part of it, and this is only one state. But you look in a state where he did very well in Nevada. He did very mm-hmm. well with with moderates and with Democrats who consider themselves to be conservative. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really important. So um, he didn't do as well as he would have expected with those folks. But it's it's not as though young people didn't turn up. And the other thing, too, and like I don't know how much weight to put on this. But remember those stories coming out of Texas, coming out of California, people waiting one, two, three, four hours more to vote. They're waiting in line for hours and hours. Yeah. And if you're working, that is ass- right. That is completely asinine. I still don't understand. I, I'm not going to lie. There's a little bit of ignorance on my part. I didn't realize that, you know, uh, vote by mail was uh, such a um, foreign concept to as much of the country as it is. As long as I've been able to vote in Washington state, I get a ballot in the mail, I sign it, and I put it away. I think I've maybe once or twice actually walked down to a polling office, and that was you know for the gram so I could get my sticker <laughs> that said I voted. Well, that's huge, right? And it's I think it's telling when you have people like Donald Trump saying, "Well, I don't want to. I don't want to see vote by mail on some of these COVID nineteen recovery packages. They want to give a bunch of money to states to do vote by mail because look, we may not be able to hang out with each other even in November, depending on how this goes. And I think it is very telling. And you're right, Oregon. You live in Washington. I live in Oregon, and we have a system for people who may not be listening from these states. You vote by mail, and you know what you can do? You can go online and see was my ballot counted and by the way if your signature doesn't match what they have registered for you on file they know whether you signed it or not um yeah oregon's been doing this for 20 years to the best of my knowledge there has not even been one identified case of someone voting in lieu of somebody else and i think that's really important yeah vote by mail is great yeah, there's not there's not people sitting there and what was the exact quote? Thousands of thousands of signatures from their living room. Right. <laughs> I believe yeah. was the the news that we were attempted to be spoon fed the other day. But uh, so I, I have a real quick question for you. Seeing as that now um, Biden is the the will secure the Democratic nomination for it. Um, do you think it was a smart idea for him? What was it? I want to say like three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, to just try to come out and issue a blanket statement and say that he's strongly considering a woman for a vice president? Yeah, I I think that that I think that that was smart. I don't think that anybody thought that whether it would be Biden or Sanders, that they would pick anyone other than a woman for vice president. I mean, Bernie Sanders, even before Joe Biden made that statement, had said, look, it's not going to be an old white guy. I can tell you that much. It was pretty obvious um, that whoever the Democratic nominee would be, that they would nominate a woman to be vice president. And part of that is I think that, you know, look, I mean, we have had a dude in the White House for the 200 plus years of the the history of this country, and yet half of the people who live here are women. And so I think people are rightly like, look, this is fucked up. And we had a bunch of women uh, who ran for for the Democratic nominee, didn't make it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it was um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think people at this point pretty much expected that that would be the case. So I I see it as as a completely fair thing to say. Okay. See, see, I, I was a little torn on that because I, and this is one of the things that, that my wife and I both agree on. I mean, she's, she's very much for, you know, progressive women views and everything, but she, she is not one that's necessarily like just cause a woman's involved, that's going to get my attention. And so we were both kind of like in agreement, like you, I don't feel as though it's necessarily appropriate to just kind of throw it out there. Like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna, you know, have a, a, a female be my vice president or, you know, my running mate. 
I I would like to know which female and what yeah. views that woman holds. And I think that that would have carried a lot more more weight or power behind that statement if it would have been like, hey, you know, I'm really thinking about having Kamala or Camilla Harris, you know, be be on the ticket with me, that kind of thing. I want to know what your views are, what your stance is, rather than just you are a female. Yeah. Because I, I think that does a little bit of a disservice to that, to just kind of throw it out there blanket statement style. Yeah, that that's completely fair. And I agree with you that the um, the impact of people's policies, the people whose lives they affect, that is what mm. matters most. Right. Like it matters less if you <laughs> nominate, let's say, for example, um, a woman for president if her policies harm women. Right. Mm -hmm. So and that's why I, I appreciate Bernie Sanders' answer in the last debate between him and Joe Biden, when asked that question, Bernie Sanders essentially said, look, I'm going to be picking someone with progressive values. There are many women who are well-qualified. It will likely be a woman, but if it's a woman, it will be a progressive woman, which speaks a little bit more to the impact of their policies is mm -hmm. more important. Um, so, and then again, on the flip side, again, like we've had a lot of, a lot of white dudes in particular in that white house. Uh, it'd yep. be good to get some people of color, good to get some women in there. So I think that that's, that's also fair. Um, all right, let's, let's, do you want to, do you want to pivot to basketball now? Not quite. Almost there. I we're gonna we're gonna dip our toe in the water of basketball by talking about um, the about COVID nineteen and the, I guess this is basketball related. Talk about the Blazers' response to it. So if you had listened to this podcast, you heard me go off without a guest because they wouldn't have been able to handle it. I don't think. But how, that was that was screaming into the void on your part. <laughs> boy, I was I was hot. Um, the the Blazers, you know, the, the Trailblazers are a multi billion dollar company, and they at that time had not yet committed to paying their venue staff for the remainder of home games that were canceled because of COVID nineteen. The Trailblazers have since made that commitment. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, those arena workers, and I believe also the the food and beverage folks who work at places like Dr. Jack's, I think, are also included in this Every, everything in the under that's underneath the vulcan umbrella as far as uh memorial coliseum and and moda center and all of that uh i think it's levy foods i think they partner it, that's that's who runs everything uh as Thank far you. as i know everything is covered under that yeah, and they and they're covered through what would have been the end of the regular season, which I think is is upon us at this point. Um, I wanted to ask though, you've seen around the NBA, some teams mm -hmm. have approached this differently than others. Um, there have been some players who have stepped up and donated when their teams haven't. And, and the one example I think of, the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers, right? Yeah. Um, what is your what is your take on this? Do you think that these multi-billion dollar organizations, do they have an obligation? If the federal government is not going to be able to help these folks quick enough, do they have an obligation to take care of them during this time? Yes and no. So part of my problem with um, NBA team owners and everything that are coming out and saying that we're going to, you know, pay for the remaining part of our home games and all that is, I mean, if you think about, especially in relation to the Blazers and Vulcan and Moda Center, uh, this is a time of year where it's, you're not just getting basketball. So the thing that I've been curious and I haven't necessarily heard about is, are these employees being covered for all canceled events. There are concerts that have been, you know, kicked back. There's all this stuff. So I'm like, that that's great that, you know, these these nine days, um, nine working days of theirs are covered. But what if, you know, through uh the Rose Quarter event staffing, like they had 27 working days that have been impacted by this? That's something that I still and I could be wrong, but I, I haven't necessarily heard about it. The other thing that I've been kind of conflicted about with this is especially now with this latest phase of the stimulus um, package that came through the additional $600. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of hubbubaloo was, was made about it and kudos for Bernie to get up on his soapbox and yell at everyone to do the right thing about like, Oh, Hey, so who cares if somebody ends up making an extra $50 on this paycheck? But, uh, 
it's been one of those things where I'm like, I don't, what's better. Like if, if somebody's furlough or like seasonally laid off per se, and they can claim unemployment and, and know that there's that guarantee or for a company to pay them, you know, what they're making or even a percentage of that. It's, I, I think there's an obligation for employers to do what's best for their employees. But I don't think that there's a blanket statement that could be made that covers what what best is, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. And for me, all of this talk about the, you know, Vulcan taking care of their staff, it really sort of ignores something I wish I had hit on in that podcast. I apologize, <laughs> but I didn't. It's that our federal government isn't doing what it needs to do to take care of people. Cause you look around the world and look, we're going back into politics, but you look around the world and rich developed nations. What, what are they doing? They very quickly passed legislation that gave money to companies so that they mm-hmm. wouldn't lay off their staff, you know, and 75%, 80%, 90% of payroll of these companies is being paid by the government. So the staff are not laid off. So essentially the government is paying people to stay home. Um, and so that people don't lose their jobs. They don't have to run through the unemployment hoops. Cause look how much more paperwork does it take? Let's say it, we could have it Either the government pays companies to pay their employees Mm -hmm. to stay on the payroll. No paperwork other than the money coming from the government to the company. And then the the people are getting paid. They don't see any difference. Whereas here in America, what's happening? You're getting laid off. Now you got to run through unemployment. And then the labor departments are all jammed up and their staff can't help you quick enough. And it takes forever for the money to get there. And then later you're going to get rehired. And then that's more paperwork. So for me, like to be completely fair to Vulcan and other companies, to me, this is really just a failure of imagination and will of our federal government to take care of people the way I think they should be taken care of. Uh, what, yeah. do you, what do you think about that? That's my take. Well, uh, to give also a, a little bit of insight as well. So like I had mentioned, I, I had broken my ankle back in January. Uh, my employer, uh, unbeknownst to me, um, seeing as that Washington State had instituted a paid family medical leave act, um, uh, that started at the beginning of 2020, they no longer automatically carried short-term disability with my insurance plan. So when I got my ankle broken and it was, like I said, off, off duty or what, or I wasn't on the clock or anything. So no workers comp claim. I went into my work to go and file for my short-term disability so I could get my wages covered and then also file for FMLA. That's when I was told that they didn't, or that, I would have had to specially elect. And I was like, all right, well, that's what I get for not reading the fine print. What the fuck do I do? That's when I found out about that paid FMLA had started. I filed my claim Jan- second week of January, like right at the beginning of the second week. I just now, 11 and a half weeks later, received payment. Jeez. So that is a social safety net program that was put out there that I think most people agree with because it's paid for by workers for people who work. It's come out in Washington state. It's literally a, a paycheck, you know, tax deduction. It lists it right on there. But yeah, uh, there, there is that lacking that you were talking about. Of, I mean, even on the state level of that, things are so backlogged and so, you know, they take such a long time. I mean, my household went two and a half months, almost, almost three months with, you know, dropping down to basically one income. So, and, and so now you look at how overloaded all these unemployment places are. And I guess I'm kind of contradicting the point I had made earlier, but uh, you know, that's what talking through these things do. (laughs) Well, and these are, uh, I mean, it's complicated, right? This isn't simple. Yeah. Yeah. And, but like one of the other aspects that I think about too, uh, is like, how I had mentioned like that additional $600. I mean, even to look back in my own life, I want to say two years ago when I had reached in and claimed unemployment, I was a well-paid, you know, construction worker. I had been seasonally laid off and the unemployment that my max unemployment I was allowed at the time ended up being $600 a week less than what my regular working wages were. So when I hear statements like, why do we want to pay people more? And I'm like, it's not necessarily more the unemployment system kind of sucks. So when you're throwing an extra $600 in there, you're probably getting everybody back up to that break even point. 
Right. And I, I mean, wow. Again, we could go off for hours on this, but I was talking to my girlfriend about the fact that regular unemployment, like you just said, pays you, I think it's 80% of what you would normally get paid. My understanding is that the reason that is, is that there are people out there who believe that if you pay someone as much as they were getting before, that what they will do is stay on the unemployment system as long as they possibly can and lounge around the house and just take the government's money and not look for work, but none of that makes sense because there is a requirement in unemployment that you are actively looking for work. So I don't yeah. I, like, like, and, and I, it's under penalty of perjury <laughs> that right. you click these statements. So to, to me, yeah. so much of what we're talking about with Bernie Sanders and the establishment and this unemployment stuff and the COVID stuff, and all of this has to do with, there are people, powerful people out there who literally don't want people to working people don't want them to succeed and don't want them to live comfortably. There's no, there's no other way to interpret it because there are people who would like for those who have the most money and the most power to continue accumulating that money and that power. And it comes up in ways that are very big. It comes up in ways that are very small. And I get that, you know, people like Bernie Sanders, you know, he yells a lot. He uses platitudes a lot. But that's sort of, for me... Don't you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, to me, in my view, to me, that is kind of the fundamental schism that America has right now is people who are working folks who, you know, don't have three months of savings to fall back onto, that these people have been left behind in policy and in fact for a very long time, and that needs to change. (laughs) All right. So I guess to... So we'll we'll see how many times we can loop this car around the block, but let's. I love it. To, uh, Anytime we can have Bernie Sanders, my heart sings. So it's great. Okay, okay so to, so to bring this back into the NBA, uh, I think one of the most vocal and visible owners so far, and obviously so because they cut to an interview with him the night that the NBA got shut down, is Mark Cuban. Have you have you kept up with any of his his interviews, his podcasts, his stuff, his reaction to? to all of this and how he's handling this as far as what he thinks corporate responsibility is or even how he's handling his own companies. My brief understanding is that he was one of the first people to come out in front and say, I will. Well, they shoved the camera in his face. He was kind of forced to. I mean, (laughs) sure, sure. Yeah. But my understanding is what he and you can correct me if I'm wrong. He said, I will make people whole. And he's gone so far as to give stipends to employees who purchase their meals from local companies in the Dallas area that he's really gone Mm -hmm. above and beyond. Is that your understanding of how he's approached it? That is correct. And I want to say that his most recent interview, I don't know if it was print form only or if it was a, a podcast or radio hit or something, but he had even talked about that before this this epidemic started, um, that he had found out that there were – I think it was just talking through – uh, talking to people that were like part of his game day staff or whatnot, just ushers. And somebody had mentioned something about like their two other jobs that he had or that they had. And he kind of, that kind of forced him into a deep dive of like, wait, so I'm not paying my employees a livable wage. And if I, if I understood it, he kind of did a little bit of spying on his employees, like hired a private investigator company kind of thing and and did a deep dive and like, OK, so, you know, realistically, what can somebody afford on what I'm paying them? And then upped his wages throughout all of his companies in order to make sure that all of his employees were receiving a livable wage, even if they were part time only employees. That's incredible. And I mean, as much as I think both of us can say that's a really good move, we also shouldn't have a system where we are depending upon the generosity of billionaires to make sure that people can take care of themselves and pay rent and buy food. And, And also, by the way, so that people can continue engaging in commerce and purchase stuff and keep the parts of the economy that can continue rolling, rolling, because Mm -hmm. if people like you and I, if we can't buy stuff, if we, (laughs) you know, buy gardening supplies or buy clothes or, or buy food, all that kind of stuff that affects all of the people whose jobs depend on us spending money. So yeah, Mm -hmm. at any rate, I just, I mean, to me, this pandemic really has exposed 
a lot about what's wrong with this country. And like you said, very, very early in the podcast exposes a lot of how that speaks to, to Bernie Sanders's platform. Look, I looped it back to Bernie again. Oh my I God. Told like, you, we're going to, we're going to drive this car around the block as many times as we <laughs> end up doing it. So, um, I, I guess I, I don't mean to necessarily hijack your podcast by me asking you questions, but Hey, you're uh, somebody I'm not married to, or I didn't actually, you know, help create in my children. So I'm, I, I enjoy I'm talking. Disappointed to other you things. never proposed, but whatever. Well, it's I just couldn't find the right time. It, it was, it was magical, but I didn't want to ruin our moment. Two ships passing in the night. Exactly. Um, so. Uh, CJ McCollum has come out. He's made donations. Various players have made donations uh, to kind of help, you know, game day staff or, or team personnel and all this. Do you think that these players should have any sort of social responsibility just because they make more money? Or do we kind of loop this back to, you know, let let the billionaires who pay them who actually own these venues and and own these teams? It's it's solely up to them. Like. Yes, NBA players or, or sports players, whether it be NFL, MLB, anything like that, NHL, yes, they're very wealthy Americans, but at the end of the day, they're still just employees to people who have way more money than them. Right, and it goes back to what we started with. You know, We talked about the, the Philadelphia 76ers, and I don't think if we, if we clarified this, essentially Joel Embiid came out and he said, I will make our arena staff whole – he didn't say this part, but because the team wasn't doing it, and then almost immediately after the 76ers then changed and said, okay, yeah, we'll take care of them. So basically Joel Embiid almost essentially shamed the team into doing the right thing. Um, yeah, I personally don't think that the onus ought to be on the players. Um, and again, to, to be fair, I look at this kind of as a vertical structure. Uh, the federal government should be taking care of all of us. If that is not happening, then I think, yes, multi-billion dollar companies have an obligation to do so. If that is also not happening, that's when you get to the point where you see players trying to do their best to fill the gaps. And if you go even further mm -hmm. down the list, I want to give a shout out to Pinwheel Empire and to Neela Madison, who started a GoFundMe to give funding to people who were affected by COVID because the team hadn't yet done it. That's an even mm -hmm. level beyond that. And I donated a little bit of money, but should people like me be the reason why people have enough money to pay their rent or should that be up to the government? Should that be up to the team? Should it be up to the players? And so for me, like, no, I don't think the players ought to be responsible. Um, like you said, uh, there are players who are donating. And when you look at this, you know, let's say that I have, I don't know, a thousand dollars in my checking account. If I donate, mm -hmm. let's say 20 bucks, right? That's, that's 2% of what I have in my checking. Well, some of these players, they probably, you know, they don't have the, the full amount of their entire contract in their checking account. But if you do the extrapolation, you get these numbers that sound huge and, you know, it's still just, it's a, just a proportion of how much money they actually have on hand. I think that's a good thing. Players should not be shamed into doing this. It's the government's responsibility. And if not, that's the team's responsibility. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm glad that you were talking about uh, players and, and percentages of or other contracts and whatnot. Cause CJ McCollum just came out and did, um, uh, did an interview and in, in which he was speaking as, um, you know, vice president of the, uh, NBA PA and said that he estimates the, the, player, out of, the players association, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that he estimates uh, close to, uh, I want to say, came out to just over a quarter of NBA players live paycheck to paycheck. Are those, is that something that, that strikes you as, as, as odd? And are you a weirdo like me in which then you immediately broke down and attempted to do the math on like, okay, so if they've missed this many games, this is a percentage of their check that they would have been missing. This is before the NBA obviously came out and said they're going to pay everybody out for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's hard to hear something like that when the average salary in the NBA is in the is in the millions. Um, I think there are a couple things at play. Two point two million right. is the average NBA salary. Right. I, I do think there are a couple things at play. To be fair, one is that these players have a a very limited career, so they're not going to be working in the NBA until they're sixty five years old. Uh, yeah. So. 
I suspect that the way their money is routed is probably a lot different than for me. I, I would suspect that a lot of their money is probably being routed if they're if they're taking smart financial advice, probably into investments because they're trying to make sure that they're making up for the fact they're not going to be working later and it's going somewhere else. And so they maybe don't have a ton of cash that's like fungible. That's one thing. The other thing is. There is, it's not, I mean, golden handcuffs isn't quite the, quite the word, but I think about myself and, you know, I, I'm solidly middle-class. I feel very fortunate. I have housing. I, you know, I have heat. I have access to water. Um, I can buy you have hair. I have hair. I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it unless I'm purchasing my hair. I mean, it could be a real, no, that, that. As a bald man, I just wanted to throw that out there just so I could, <laughs> I could give you a form of privilege above me. Well, you're wearing a hat, so how could we ever tell? Um, you know, Because I have no hair. I'm, I'm a hat guy now. That's true. Yeah. It looks good, though. At least you can grow a beard. I can't grow a beard to save my life. Um, but, I mean, my point is that, you know, I, I don't have an enormous amount of savings um, even though I live a pretty comfortable life and, and I wonder, you know, part of that is my choices have led me to this point. Um, mm -hmm. but part of that is that as you know, you're, I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm not saying this is an excuse, but I'm saying on behalf of players that your lifestyle, uh, will kind of creep into the amount of money that you spend and you think mm -hmm. about car services, you think about restaurants and wine, and you think about, well, I, you know, I, I can't live in a neighborhood with everyone else because I'm an NBA player and people try to maybe rob me. You need security systems. I, so, um, right. So it's like, it's very difficult for me to imagine that, for example, someone like CJ McCollum could live my lifestyle. I, I don't like... It, like there are very few people. The, the person that comes to mind actually most is someone like Bill Walton, who you know when he was with the Blazers, MVP player. You know, rode his mm -hmm. bike. I mean, they were making a lot less money back then. But I, there are very few players. They who were can, still well paid, comparative. But yeah, right, right, exactly. So I, I mean, those are two things I think about. One is where their money is going in investments. Two is just the lifestyle creep is a real thing. But. A long-winded way of saying, yeah, I, I'm pretty surprised that so many players live paycheck to paycheck. I mean, they get paid, what, twice a month, I think, is that their salary is broken down that way? Yeah, Ed, but it's uh, it's it's yeah, twice a month, uh, a November, November, November through November pay cycle. Um, but they are still paid based off of, I, I want to say the NBA does like an average amount of games or something like that. So it still comes down to like, you can take their contract, divide it by 82 and that goes into a portion of their paycheck. So like, that's one of those things where it's like, when you think about like the, the minimum contract guys, the guys, I want to say the minimum like veterans minimum contract is like the lowest in the NBA. And I want to say that is like $475,000 a year. So that boils down to, I want to say just under or just over $6,000 a game. So, I mean, take out 10% for agent fees, take out, you know, uh, obviously those are the guys who are doing or are paying a, like a higher, higher rate on like a rental or a hotel rooms, all those kind of things. And, and also guys who, you know, realistically probably grew up not having decent amount of money and are taking care of their family. So it's like those are the things where it's like now if you look at a work or a work stoppage or, or losing any sort of paycheck after all these fees are, are, are taken out, I'm like, I could realistically see in a half a million dollar a year NBA player having to and I hate to say it this way, having to, quote unquote, survive off, you know, four thousand dollars a month. Or something like that after it's all, all is said and done. But I think one of the things that always gets lost in the translation is how the fuck do you make half a million dollars a year and you're struggling? Right. Because and, all of us would love to have that problem. <laughs> right. And I mean, you th I go back to this one a lot that the average American worker in their 30 years of working will make five hundred thousand dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's in 30 years. That's, you know, so um yeah, I'm with you. It's all, you know, 
it's it's all very um some of this stuff i think it's fair that you point out there are a lot of different things that players have to do and things they have to pay for that we may not think of but but yes like to go back to the original original question um <laughs> taking care of people who work at the arenas the people who need this money the most and again, it should be up to the government. And if not the government, it should be these multi-billion dollar corporations, not the players. That's where I land on it. Let's do now pivot to talking more about basketball. And Ryan, I know that you love this concept from the NBA. They are doing a horse tournament. They're going to be doing it, practicing social distancing. The players will be separated from each other, recording shots and then, you know, the player they're playing against will then respond. I believe this begins tomorrow, Sunday, April 12. It's going to be broadcast on ESPN from 7 to 9 Eastern. That is 4 to 6 Pacific. Uh, and before I get your I opinion. I will not watch a single second of I this. I wasn't even. Completely asinine and stupid idea. Don't you want to see Trey Young versus Chauncey Billups? Do you not want to I have, see. I have. I have zero, zero desire to see anything that any of these sports leagues for as starved for sports as we are, that they are just shoving out there. I feel as though these are all half-assed, half-brained ideas. And every single league right now is trying to be the first to come out with some form of content. Um, With... You know, I I file follow Myers Leonard on on Twitch. I've I've watched his you know charity things. I've watched him do his Call of Duty stuff. I enjoy that. I don't need ESPN to broadcast Hassan Whiteside absolute getting waxed in NBA 2K when he's not playing as himself or the Blazers. The fact that they just allowed that to be like completely open ended and pick whatever team because the cheat code was pick the Bucks. If you pick the box, you win. <laughs> yeah. um, so I gave like zero interest to that. This horse idea, I was like, this sounds interesting. But the only name brand recognition kind of player that you have right now is Trey Young. I don't care to see him and an aging Chris Paul come down to like a duel or anything. I don't, and I don't mean this to sound sexist or asinine in any way, shape or form. If you're going to feed me NBA content, don't necessarily throw in WNBA players. Why aren't they having their own horse horse competition amongst their own league? That kind of thing. If you want something like this horse thing to be successful, you need Dame, you need Steph, you need Trey, you need Luca. You need the stars of our generation to play this in their privileged basketball court that is their living room <laughs> and and broadcast that. The way that I feel all these sports leagues are just trying to rush some form of content down our throat, they, there's not enough thought in it, I, I, which means I don't care. I will not watch a single second of this. I may not even read recaps. Well, let me let me defend the NBA, and then I also want to give props that you made me, in your response right there. You made me think about this in a way I hadn't before, which is the star power that's missing, and I want to get back to that too. But let me defend the league first. And before I defend the league, really quick, the first round, like you said, it's it's Trey Young versus Chauncey Billups, uh, Tamika Catchings versus Mike Conley, Zach Levine versus Paul Pierce, and Chris Ball versus Allie Quigley. Um, so uh, there's no dunking, so you're not allowed to dunk. Um, and it's being done again, remotely. The players are filming themselves doing it and then responding each from their own locations. I'm going to defend the league by saying this. We are in an unprecedented time. We have not ever seen a global pandemic like this. We haven't seen one like this since the, the flu in, you know, 1918, right? This has, this is a one. Sure. It wasn't 1917 or is that 1918 fake news? I don't know, man. It was, it was, it was, it was a long time ago. It was before my grandmother was born. Right. So it's like, we haven't seen it's unprecedented and I don't fault the league for looking for ways to keep people involved and active. And look, the league is a business. They are losing so much money on revenue at the gate revenue from streaming. This is an unprecedented time. And so I do not fault them for looking for ways to keep people involved, but so having defended the league, I do want to say this. I appreciate that you say this. The lack of star power, now that you mention it, is sort of odd because when you talk about 
why are people not as interested in a <laughs> slam dunk competition, for example? That's because you don't have Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan, you know, facing off against each other. You have these like these no name players who, you know, are famous because of the dunk contest. And you're right. I think that that's completely fair. So you're telling me you're not going to watch any of this? Uh- not a second. Not a second. I may scroll past it super quick on Twitter. I I may once or twice read a recap, but like I said, just the execute the ideas are not what I find fault with. It's the execution. And like uh, even even uh, let's bring this back to like this NBA 2K streaming that ESPN is doing. If um you know, I any of those players were forced to play as their own team, I think I would have had a lot more interest in it. How does Hassan Whiteside want to run the Blazers? Let's see him out there as Damian Lillard, you know, or CJ McCollum or whatnot on NBA 2K. But for like Put it on franchise simple, mode and see what trades he makes. <laughs> exactly. Like, is he going to finally be the one to ship off McCollum for Kevin Love? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just, like I said, uh, they're in the rush to provide content. Nobody is really thinking about what the best kind of content to provide us is. But and that's where, that's where I think the disservice to fans is. You have to walk before you run and I think that some of this is let's try it out, let's get the players who are willing to do it to do it. Maybe part of this, I mean, you maybe you can't get Steph Curry, LeBron James and Giannis to do the horse competition for example. Maybe the people they got were the people who were willing to do it. We don't know that, right? So you're um, going to tell me that the league that is currently paying them their game paychecks to not play games has zero leverage? Because would, of the union to possibly force them to sit in front of their TV and use a, a remote control? I would concede that it seems likely that the league could exert that kind of influence, but I don't know that for a fact. There may be logistical things that we're not thinking of. Um, so to me, I don't mind them trying this. I do agree with you that, it, that the execution could be better. Um, and there might be some other ideas on things that may be more interesting or, um, you know, than watching horse. I had an idea and I wanted to float this by you. I wanted to see what you thought of this. And I said, you take a giant swig of your beer because get ready. This is a mm-hmm. terrible idea, but I wanted to float it. So for something that the league could do for players that could, they could do something remotely that would be competitive and that people would want to watch um, a game where players are they're they're executing basically dribbling moves one at a time and then the other player has to respond and then add on so let's say i dribble it with my right hand second player dribbles with the mm-hmm. right hand then a crossover then the th- player the first player again dribble right hand crossover plus between the legs and you keep adding on these moves until somebody forgets the order of the moves and whoever forgets the order of the moves is the loser the other person wins the reason why this might be interesting a you can get <laughs> players who don't shoot as well right these are maybe players who mm-hmm. have like excellent ball handling skills. Um, B, you probably get players who are like really cerebral and think that they're really smart and masters of the game who really want to win because they want to prove that they can remember all these moves. And I just think it would be interesting to see. What do you think of that concept? I don't know what you would call it, like a plus one. So you 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 floated that you were going to ask me this before we started recording, and the the cogs have been turning in my head for a little bit. CJ McCollum has been i don't know if he helped develop it or if he just uses it but he's been a proponent of of that dribbling app where you got to like throw your hand out touch touch a dot touch a button so i would like your concept but in the way where you have to dribble that basketball like through the little dot it's almost like flying through the circles for like the most basic of of video games that you can have and so whatever kind of dribbling moves that you know a player adds on it's you have to keep hitting that dot at that time. So it's like if they're going like just doing an insane quick dribble between their legs, that little dot is flashing, but that ball has to hit that dot. So it's kind of a tweak to it to where it's not necessarily dependent upon like your basketball IQ or just general IQ of like, how, how can you remember some things? Cause I would like to imagine that I come off as smart and as and intelligent. My memory is absolute shit. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what I ate for breakfast yesterday. So I'd be horrible at this game, but I feel as though I'm smart. So yeah. Do you just, know who just I that, am? Uh, 
I've been told you're you're an attractive white male that has a podcast. So and and that's what lured me into this. So oh lord. <laughs> hey, it's better. It's better than what I've been called on the internet. I've been told I'm part of three fat white guys with a podcast. So there you go. Oh, I uh, don't worry. I've been called names too. Um, I really like that idea. I think that that is a good twist to it. And um, I think that something like that would be super engaging. I think players would take it seriously. It would be more active. My thought with this and and your twist makes it even more so. I think it's more visually active because horse horse is kind of like golf it's you walk up and you and you take your move you take the swing whereas this would be something that would be visually more active um and that would be the kind of thing i hope the league does look at maybe not this idea specifically but again i'm giving them some latitude that this is it's a weird time and they're looking for ways to stay engaged um the other the other thing i'm interested about with this horse thing is uh, what's what's the shot clock like on developing the shot like I guess the best way I have to equate it is like, dude, perfect. They have built a very successful YouTube channel. They do a lot of trick shots, a lot of stuff, but it's very well known and they've admitted as much. We aren't seeing their first go at it. So when Trey Young submits his shot for Chauncey Billups, is that his first attempt at it? Or is that like attempt 972 to get that bounce just right? I don't know. I honestly don't know how that works. Damn it. I came here for answers and you're letting me down. (laughs) I would imagine because, I mean, generally it's just you get one try, right? One try a piece. So I don't know why they would give people more than that unless I'm misinterpreting what you're saying. Well, because they're filming in their house and there's nobody there to call them out on on looking crappy by missing their initial shot. Well, are they? There's tomfoolery here. Well, here's something else. I'm even on the article, and I can't find this clarification. Is the, Are the players, are they streaming at the, they must be, right? They must be doing yeah. this in real time. So I don't, so. Yeah. I mean, I, you can't send, you can't send a film crew during quarantine. What kind of look is that going to be? Well, just to say, it's not like, so, so that to me suggests pretty strongly that they're not going to be able to take multiple cracks at the shot that they want the other person to complete. So if they're just mm-hmm. sitting there streaming it, it, it's probably as if they're just doing it live is my guess. Um, I'm interested. So I'll tell you this, and you mentioned it a little bit before their home courts. I'm actually super interested to see what these courts look like, because even players who are not like the top of the top players in the NBA seem to have pretty nifty home court setups. Well, well, Myers Leonard, his, his home that he had here, he had his home here in Portland that Hassan Whiteside is now, you know, I I think they just swapped mortgage payments or something like that because Myers is living in (laughs) Hassan's house as well, but he had a very impressive, you know, uh, basketball court in his garage. So, yeah, no, he did. Um, yeah, the things that, the things that you can have, um, yeah. All right. So I, well, we've made it this far. We need to, we need to answer the important question that your listeners are demanding is NBA coming back. Are we going to get an NBA season? Are we going to get an abbreviated playoffs? Are we, what are we going to get? If anything, I am not a doctor. I am not an epidemiologist, but I, you kind of do look like a young Fauci. I think if you put on some glasses, you could pull that off. You, You look like, you look like a Fauci about 40 years younger. Oh man. Um, he's a lot smarter than I'll ever be. Um, (laughs) So with the cab with those caveats, I'm not an expert. My sense from everything I've seen and read is that, you know, um, some good news. It looks as though, particularly here in Oregon, that we are flattening the curve, that that there are fewer people being infected all at once than we may have feared, that the hospitals here, at least in Oregon, are not being overrun as they are in some places like in New York, and that nationwide, even though cases are still increasing, that the worst case scenarios now look less likely than they did before. So that's very good news. Um, It seems as though, to the best of my understanding, that we're not going to be able to really open up people to be gathering for at least a couple more months. And I know, look, I mean, I, I, um, I think that the president taking this seriously, more seriously than he was in the beginning is a good thing. Um, you'll hear me uh, give very precious little praise to our commander. Not going to lie. That's cute that you, 
that uh, that's cute that you think he's taking anything seriously even at this moment but continue more seriously than in the beginning so i appreciate that but when you hear him say things like he did a few weeks ago like i want to open it up by easter he's walked that back thankfully and you know he said yesterday well opening it up will be the biggest decision i'll ever have to make as if he's the one making the decision as if governors aren't really the ones controlling most of this here but the point being that it is very unlikely to see the country opening up and for us getting together in that way for many months because we do not have enough tests if we do not have enough tests we can't test people to see whether they're asymptomatic carriers. That means people who have the virus who can spread it, who are not showing any symptoms. If we don't have tests, we can't tell that. If we don't have enough money for people to be um, staying at home when they are affected, that's also a problem. So to me, short answer, I, I think this season is over. I don't think we're getting a regular season. I don't think we're going to get a playoffs. Everything I have heard has suggested they don't want to affect the next season if they can help it. And because of that, um, I don't see this season continuing. What What do you think about I, that? Uh, I think it would be completely asinine to bring it back because there'd be so many asterisks by anything that would happen. Even if you abandon the regular season and you go just straight for the playoffs. All right, great. I mean, think about it from the Blazers perspective of like, well, we could have worked our way in there, you know, New Orleans, Memphis, all these teams that, you know, jockeying for an eight seed or what or whatever. Or, I mean, like, even think about it this way, like had the regular season not been affected you know, Zach Collins return would have been questionable. You bring it back next month. Zach Collins has stated that he's ready to go. So this is, it's, it's like, we're not necessarily operating with a, with a fair deck because players that wouldn't have impacted the season can now impact the season again. But I, I just don't see how you can do it. There's just too many asterisks by it. Like, yeah, you know, team X can raise a banner and claim a championship, but it's, it's going to be like that lockout shortened season. Well, that was only a 50 game season. So. Yeah. But I think if the league could do it, if they could do it safely, of course they would. Again, they're, they're losing just an unbelievable amount of money. And one thing that we haven't talked about, we're not going to have time and we're, we're getting near the end here, but we haven't talked about how the loss of revenue affects things like the salary cap projections, which means for example, that if the league is taking in less money and if there's less revenue to share, that means essentially the salary cap will go down, which means now that you have teams that would not have been in the luxury who may have had cap room who are now in the luxury who do not have cap room that affects the free agent market this wasn't going to be a strong free agent market at any rate but that means that teams have less money to spend they may be more fiscally conservative because they're now in the tax and so this loss of revenue really is going to be affecting things not just this season if we lose it but next season the free agent class multiple free agency classes this may affect who comes out for the draft who stays in college and who doesn't i mean this is I mean, there's so there are so many angles to this that maybe we'll hop on another podcast and talk about another angle of it at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and if anybody wants to uh, contribute to uh, what can eventually be an online Twitter conversation about it, one of the things I've been curious about is that, you know, super max and max salaries have always been a percentage based off basketball related income. So if Damian Lillard having his super max when it kicks in. Is it still going to be the same dollar amount? No. If big uh, or if basketball those... related income drops, Don't see that's those... one of those weird things because NBA contracts are guaranteed. So when you sign it, you're signing to a dollar amount, but you're also signing based off of like that year's you know basketball related income and then percentage increases over the years. So like if he signed now. But the basketball-related income drops for this year, as it obviously will. Does that affect what his actual salary cap hit is in the coming years or the remainder of the contract? I'm going to float my understanding, and this could be wrong. I, I think that you have because you have extensions that don't kick in until future years, right? Mm -hmm. um, I believe that if your contract is signed, it's a five-year contract, I believe it is a percentage of the salary cap at the time at which the contract begins. But if you sign mm -hmm. an extension, like you said, CJ and Dame both signed forward future extensions, right, that, that don't kick in until later, mm -hmm. 
I think that they would be affected by a drop in the salary cap. I do think so. And this would be very interesting to see as the players union and the league, they're going to have to arbitrate some of this stuff. I mean, they're already, Mm -hmm. they're going to be butting heads about who gets paid and when you mentioned earlier, the the players are going to get their paychecks for the middle of this month, but who knows about early next month. No, no, the, the NBA and MBP or NBA PA have already come out and, and they've both stated that players will be paid for the remainder of all games. The only thing that's up for a debate right now is if it will be full percentage of their salaries or, or like a, a shortened percent. I think they were looking at maybe 80% of their remaining salaries. Okay, that's fair. And and my broader point being that there are going to be disagreements between the players in mm-hmm. the league about how to split this stuff and what's going to happen. Um, Yeah, a lot to think about, a lot to consider. My brain is now full, as is my bladder. I have to pee. Um, Ryan, if people, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you. I got got nothing else better to do other than try to outsmart a making a cake. (laughs) Uh, It's a lot harder than you would think um, if you undercook it. Don't tell me that. I haven't started yet. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, if you undercook it, you're screwed. If you overcook it, you're you're definitely screwed. Um, but Ryan, if they wanted to reach out to you on Twitter uh, for bake caking advice or other things, or they wanted to connect to your fabulous podcast, how the hell would people do that? So if anybody wants to find me uh, chasing Shea Sharano, uh, Bill Pute, and uh, Cash App giving out money, uh, you, you can go and follow me at the Witty Ryan on Twitter because that's pretty much all I use that or that handle for. Uh, most of my actual voice is from the show page, and that is at BlazerTagPDX. Um, uh, you can find there. Uh, there's my ranting. I've been following along with a lot of these replay games and live tweeting and trying to come up with creative hashtags for any of these bla- classic Blazer games. Um, other than that, uh, uh, go and check out the the Blazer Tag podcast. Uh, sadly, we do not have any new content as of the last couple months. And uh, the last episode we recorded, I actually had to yank at the last minute because uh, we were making fun of how overblown everyone was treating this COVID-19 outbreak when there was only two cases in Washington state. So uh, obviously that didn't age well, and I hope nobody saved a copy of that, but I've since taken that down. (laughs) Just to be fair, I, a lot of us were not taking it as seriously as we should have. And um, again, I will point the finger to our federal leadership because they had warning signs very early and they were not passing that along to us. Um, So it's okay. Um, Yeah. At any rate, Ryan, I appreciate you and thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me. I will chat at you later, man. Go, go empty your bladder. Thank you again to today's guest, Ryan Whitledge of the Blazer Tag Podcast. It's always awesome to have him on, and it's always awesome to have all of you with us. And if you want to reach out to the show, you always can. You can get us at I Like the Blazers on Twitter and Facebook. Also at I Like the Blazers.com and I Like the Blazers at gmail.com if you want to send something in. I appreciate all of you, and I hope that you're doing well, staying safe, and staying sane during this really odd time. It is unprecedented, and if you're feeling weird, it's not just you. It's just, it's a weird time right now, but I appreciate your support. Hope all is well. Have a good rest of your day and go Blazers.